I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. Welcome back to another episode of Multilingual Mamas. Today, we're going to change gears and talk about the psychology behind what most multilingual families have experienced at least once, moving or immigrating to a new country. We have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Alma Moser, Dr. of Psychiatry, and someone who's familiar with the expatriate and multilingual experience inside and out. Hello, Alma, and thank you for agreeing to do this interview. Well, I thank you. So Alma, can we start just talking a little bit about you personally? Can you talk to us about your upbringing and where you grew up, what languages you spoke as a child, and um, what languages were spoken at home versus in the community? Um, yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I was born in France, in Paris, uh, from a French mom and a German dad. And um, but we moved rather quickly. So at eight, I think we were eight months old, and then we moved to the United States of America to Florida. So actually, my first language is English, which I learned. Um, but my mom always spoke to us in French, and my dad always spoke to us in German. Um, and then we lived in the States for four years, and then we moved to Germany. And so German clearly became the dominant language because school and activities and everything were in German. And um, so at that point, yeah, the, the dominant language became German. But at home, we always spoke in French with our mom and in German with our dad, and we were all together. It was mainly French, but sometimes just a mix with the whatever word came first uh, <laughs> and fit better. That was the one that was spoken. Love that. I don't know if this is going to come up later, but what, how do you define your identity right now? That's a good question. Actually, my, my husband always, he, he always, when, when France, is, France is playing against Germany, who are you cheering for? <laughs> honestly, honestly I, I cheer for both. Um, it's, it's hard to, I think it's, it depends more on the aspect of, of, life um mm -hmm. i think culturally i am more german because i grew up for most of my life in germany um but i love french culture and it's more more sentimental i think for me the french culture because it's linked to my mom mm -hmm. and um and then i've lived in belgium for a long time i did my studies there so belgium also it's very work related for me very mm -hmm. Yeah, my whole work network is Belgium, so that's more uh, the association that I have there. So, so I don't think I can just give one answer and one nationality or one identity because that really is the definition of who I am. It's, it's not just one. Nice. I love the uh, defining your identity as which soccer team you you cheer for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Exactly. clears throat> Um, Alma, when you were working in or studying, you say you were studying in Belgium, correct? Yeah. Did you have to learn Flemish or was it mostly French speaking? It was mostly French speaking. Um, actually, so I did, I started my medical studies in Luxembourg, I did my first year there. And then at that time, now everything has changed, but at that time they only had the first year. And so then I got a place in, in Belgium. 
um, to study to continue. But it was mainly the university was a French university, um, and so all classes were in French. I always said that if I stayed in Belgium, I would learn Flemish. Unfortunately, I never followed through. But it wasn't expected of me, and, and but while speaking French and German and English, I got by without a problem. Tell us more about your husband. You say you're married, right? How do you meet? What language do you speak? And if you have children, what's the the language dynamics at home? Yes. So my husband is Spanish, um, but he himself um, traveled quite a lot with his family. They lived in the United States, and then they moved to Belgium uh, when he was, I think, he was 13. Um, and so he speaks Spanish, French, and English perfectly fluently. We met while we were in Belgium, in Brussels, and uh, now we have two children, and he speaks in Spanish to them, and I speak in German to them, and when we speak, we speak in French. <laughs> so that's a quite uh, a mix going on here as well in my, my little family. And you live in Spain? We live in Spain, exactly. And how old are your children? Uh, the older one is two and a half, and the youngest just turned one. Oh my gosh, you're in the thick of it. Yes. So I'm curious about, um, since you said you studied in Belgium and you used French, to the language you acquired at home, I'm super interested about the literacy in both languages, right? Because you seem to be very comfortable with French and German, both reading, writing, and speaking it. Can you tell us about maybe any difficulties you had or when you transitioned from one country to another? Did you get some support? How did, how did that work out for you? Um, it, it is quite an interesting question because uh, up, up till that point, German clearly was, was the dominant language. And um, although, of course, we had books at home and French in all languages, by the way, my parents insisted on having very Harry Potter fans at home. So we had Harry Potter and <laughs> French. That was just, you know, the, the um, motivation to read French more. The problem was that all names were different. So that's a different topic. But um, so that was they tried to get us attractive books for us to read more in French because it was harder for us, for me, mainly. Um, and so when I started um, university, it was in French and it was a challenge. Although I spoke it perfectly, uh, it was clearly a challenge to suddenly have all classes, the whole everyday life in French. It was it was a transition. And I remember that and that I remember that at when I was 12 years and I remember that in university is that when I sometimes saw a word, I was like, oh, that's how it's written. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I only I, like in my mind I, I wrote it in a different way. So Oh, that's how that makes sense now. Yeah, right. So I, I do remember having that quite quite a few times, also in university, um, and um, but but luckily I think I do have um, I I don't have any problem writing or, or reading dyslexia wise or whatever it could be. So that it it went pretty pretty fast and, and easily for me. But it, it, it at first it was a challenge as too. That makes sense. Tell us about your Spanish, because I'm just curious, for you, what will be your fourth language, correct? Yes. Uh, Spanish clearly is the language I speak, um, well, yeah, it's not the best, uh, <laughs> but I think, I think I'm very, also very, um, uh, how do you say? Um, Critical. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't come in so and I actually learned Spanish uh, at school in high school we I started having Spanish classes and I really liked the language and speaking French it wasn't that hard 
Um, and then I really, really learned Spanish when I went to Chile for an internship during my medical studies. I left for four months. And um, that's why I was really faced uh, with nobody speaking any other language and uh, in, in a village, in a little village in, in Chile. And so that's where I really learned it. And then, of course, meeting my husband and his family. Luckily, they all spoke, luckily or not luckily, they all spoke different languages. <laughs> so I always had, a, um, had an easy uh, way out. But uh, mm -hmm. and then, of course, moving here made it all more important for me. And, and I, yeah, I tried to speak as well as I can. Awesome. So it's, it's clear that you've moved around a lot. Uh, and as far as I understand, that's kind of what your work centers on. So can you talk a little bit about the work you do with um, third culture kids and kind of what that term means? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I was I was very lucky to find the work that I have here in Madrid uh, because it really reunites two of um, my passions, which which are languages and psychiatry. So I was I was so lucky to have to find this. And um, so mainly the center is for is designed for expats because all of us speak Spanish in English at least, and then some mm -hmm. have a third or fourth language, main language. And so, yeah, the the work with the third culture kids, I think first of all is is um, empathizing, no, and is understanding what they're going through, what it means to to be yeah a foreigner in a country or how to adapt or how to communicate or all these challenges that come with being different or going through something different or new and um, so this is really the first the first big part of of, of my work and then of course is um, you know understanding better the challenges that they're going through and, and uh, offering the help I can offer. So when you say third, you mean a cult they live in a culture that is not the culture of either of their parents? That's what you're referring to? So, yeah, so the definition is that the first the first culture, sorry, um, is a reference to their parents' culture. Okay. The second culture is to their host country, okay. which is different. And then the third culture is a fusion of the first two. So it's okay. creating their own identity. Wonderful. Okay, thank you clearing that up I was incorrect yeah that's a very it's a very interesting field that I was just recently learning about so thank you so much for and that for us and for talking to us about it um so we were interested in knowing what are some of the difficulties that third culture kids experience in general so the the challenges that third culture kids ha often have is that since they have to create their own their own identity because nobody has been through what they have been through before in their family or in their friendships, that's a difficulty is having their own identity. And also with that, having the definition of home is another one for them because it's not just mm -hmm. we're not going home, that's where my parents are or my friends are, but no, because everybody's moved. So um home really is where the people you love are. That's really the definition. Um, but with, which obviously comes with struggles because then you don't, if your parents have moved again, then you don't have your friends where your parents are and you don't, or you don't know the city where your parents are, or so it comes with th those part of challenges, um, or feeling like the odd one out, the one ha that has um, traveled a lot and has, has seen a lot, but also 
is a little different in, in, in those traditional views. Um, and also what is a great difficulty, what I see is that um, it's never easy to say goodbye. It does get easier with time, but it's still obviously it's, it's harder, in, especially for children who know what's coming and um, also to start over. Yeah. Uh, start over in school, in friendships, in sports, and whatever it might be. So that's those are the challenges for a third culture kid. Is there an age at which it's more difficult, or which you'd recommend parents try to avoid a big change like a move? I think avoid is a big is a strong word. Um, yeah. There, there for sure are more, are easier moments to move uh, when the children are little, you know, you pack them up and you, you take them with you and then they'll start and it's, it's easier. I think the most difficult age is preteens and teens mm -hmm. because, because then their peers, their friends are so important. They have such an important role and taking, like taking them out of that context and putting them in a whole other one with people that don't know. It's a tough moment. Mm -hmm. It is because they uh, not only because they have to start from scratch um, and, and often their tensions in the family and all of that. So it, I, I won't say you have to avoid because sometimes, you know, moves have to happen. But mm -hmm. um, I think you have to be especially careful around that age and prep and be communicate and prepare and participate in in conversations and uh, um, you know how like already figure out where they could go how the school is show them and and activities they could do and you know all, all that kind of stuff anticipating just be yeah especially sensitive yeah to those difficulties makes sense you said that goodbyes are always hard right yes what could be some of the things that parents can do to prepare uh, the children for that move that is involved with this saying goodbye? Well, uh, yeah, as I, as I said a little earlier, I think that the main key is preparation. I think it's, you know, discussing um, where are you going to? And I mean, there's move and move. There's move 10 kilometers away and then there's move across the, across the, the, the globe. But um, um, yeah, preparing where you're going to, what language is going to be spoken, already take language classes if it's another language, a language and cultural classes, I think that can help. Already look, you know, what houses you're looking at or flats and have them participate. Um, or, you know, what kind of sport clubs are near, what kind of activities is it, do they, do they used to go to dance classes? Okay, then we look for a dance class, a dance studio there. Um, you know, I think really anticipating um, and uh, address, uh, yeah, I think that that's their interests and they follow, try to have a little continuity between the new and the old. I think what is also important is to have realistic expectations is that not everybody's gonna love the move and the first months can be tough on everybody. Um, and uh, I think adapting your expectations will already help. Um, address possible fears, have open communication about you know, what could happen, what could, um, what could certain challenges be, uh, who could they meet, what kind of people are there, um, something like that. I think that that is always helpful. Yeah. So we talked a lot about the difficulties are there any advantages or positive aspects that you want to highlight for 
um, parents who may be in this situation? Oh, absolutely. And luckily, there are also positive aspects. And I think there are a lot of them. I think that children or, or adults who, who go through um, moving and, and changing cultures and learning languages uh, definitely have a lifelong interest in learning about new cultures and traveling and being more open, open-minded, um, quickly adapting to new situation, acquiring social skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, they have often have a higher level of autonomy because they just used to, you know, I had to learn how to... Uh, again depending on what age but if you learn if you if you move away for for uni then you learn how to you know to cook how to do your laundry how to do um all your grocery shopping all that kind of stuff and um and often people who have moved a lot show a great capacity of adaptation and also have less are less inclined to be materialistic because Mm -hmm. they know that you know you don't need uh 300 things to be happy you can you know have the little and uh have a walk to the beach or, or you know, um, whatever it might be. And dinner. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And dinner. And I think that also technology has helped us enormously compared to even 20, 30 years ago. Uh, I mean, it's so easy to just call someone and have a have a video call or send, a, send an email or, or photos I mean videos around the world. I mean, grandparents who don't live for the children or they still share everyday mm-hmm. moments so that is very precious of course you don't have to send your letter and wait three weeks for an answer yeah that's that's the materialistic thing is, is something I hadn't thought about but that makes a lot of sense you cannot move around with all of your things mm-hmm. really think about what matters exactly I, I have a, a question that is not here but I just just popped in my head so I thought I would ask um since you I don't know if you've treated people from a psychiatrist standpoint, that might be the result of a third culture kid, right? Like someone who becomes an adult and grew up that way. Are there any disadvantaged or any um, profiles that you see in this kind of patient potentially? Any like long-term things that they might have, or they might struggle with potentially in the future because of this constant moving around or having to adjust? Um, I do think that there are some personalities who who can find it more challenging um you know more introverted people shy people or who who, where those social skills of course don't apply to or apply in different scale um yes they can find it very hard to to say goodbye every three years and and start new and uh that it can of course but that's the the downside of it is that if if there is already a, a person who is struggling um then adding that is difficult it can be yes but you're saying is personality wise it might vary significantly right yes yes and then of course I can go the whole my which is more my professional if there's really really is a mental health issue then of course that's another um another level because um I mean, let's just say if if there's something from the autistic spectrum or or more more depressed and then having which is also a challenge that I find here is that, um, of course, here we have psychologists and and me and and speech therapists who speak English. But then if we want to do a whole assessment or if we want to put more intense school and help in school or if we want, you know, more help for the family, then we're a little stuck because language wise and and um, uh, 
health, I mean, health system wise, it's not that easy assurance wise. So that's, that's another challenge for people who come here and who are not Spanish um, is to find a perfect program, a perfect plan mm -hmm. that could fit for them. That's, it's, it's a challenge. Alma, would you, would you say you, you work most with parents or children or both? <laughs> That's a good question. I think that you can't work with children without without working with the parents. Um, first of all, because they know their children best, and second of all, they're with them the whole day. So if you want to, you know, the child to be better and implement changes, then it has to go through through the parents, especially for little children. Of course, adolescence is that it's, it's different. So I so in this center where I work now, I work. I, I in the first session is always with parents and and the child and then I, I try to figure out and have a few sessions with the child to you know have that that space and that time and do my assessment and um, of course that's confidential and, and you know I, I always talk to the child okay what can I tell to your parents what is this and that is important for me to tell do you agree are you okay with that and um, and so um, that's that's how I work, but I don't. I don't do therapeutic work. Those are the psychologists who do that. I do the assessment and diagnosis and treatment. Um, if you feel comfortable, we we'd love to hear how your work influences your own life, your family, how you raise your kids, and vice versa. If at all, does your experience as a child who moved around a lot influence your work at all? Oh, for sure, both ways. Um, if I start first with my how I was raised on my work, because um, that's what that came first. Mm -hmm. um, um, yes, I mean, obviously, not being from here, from Spain, um, learning how to adapt myself and hearing those struggles and the patients and um, for sure gives me, I think, a little more proximity, a little more deeper understanding of what they're going through. Um, without, of course, revealing too much of what I've been through, but um, to them. But um, I think that having that empathy and having that um, compassion already is is a is a big thing. Um, so yeah, and and um, you know, it can be as as easy as you know, how do you find a, an English speaking doctor or a French speaking doctor, or how do you find a I don't know. It can be a French-speaking piano teacher, and you know, just those things that are important that, that can that can be very important to keep those those um, contacts in the language alive. I, I kind of relate to that, and I and I actually I like uh, doing that research and have creating that network um, for for myself and for others. So I think that's uh, for sure um, a huge influence. And uh, from my work on my children. <clears throat> I would uh, have to ask them in a few years, but uh, yeah, no, I, I for sure, I would say that I, although I, of course, I try to um, separate both and, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist at home, I'm a mom and mm -hmm. I can't be both and, um, and I don't want to be both actually, mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I see how important it is to to listen, to give them time, to help them grow and have their own opinion, and you know, not, um, you know, I'm 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 not creating a person. It, it is a whole person. You know, there's already a whole person, and I'm just trying to give them the tools to to be a, um, a kind and compassionate human being and uh, do what they want to do and follow their interests. So, 
I, I do with the work that I have, I do see how important it is to give that space mm-hmm. to also have limits and boundaries, um, which often people and parents, yes, but I don't spend time, a lot of time with him. And then when I spend time with him, I don't want to be the only person saying no all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it's not about saying no all the time, but it's, it's the children need boundaries. They thrive on boundaries. Um, it actually reduces anxiety and um and you know people in society have boundaries that's what I always say you know I have I have uh, I can't go with the if the, the how do you say the light and the, on the street is red red means stop for everyone and so that's that's what you learn and that's what I learned and that's how society is so um yeah I think that that's important and that's what I try to apply to my little ones yeah, I can definitely relate to the feeling like you're always the no person. Yeah, you're talking to two Spanish teachers who end up being Spanish teachers at home, too. I try not to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think your advice is really valuable to parents out there that might be going through this. They're transitioning or their kids are transitioning into a different environment or they have been there for a while, but they're struggling. So do you have any recommendations? of books, potentially articles, websites, any sort of resource um, that would help parents understand a little bit what are the challenges that the, that might be related to moving internationally or even nationally? Um, I have this book here. I don't know the title in English. Um, in Spanish, it's Consigue que tu hijo sea bilingüe from Barbara Sura Pearson, um, which is a very good book. Um, our... our Sinew's website has a blog as well, and there are um, quite a few articles about their culture kids, about moving, about um, how to take care of children who are uh, who suffer from bullying in class, or you know, all, all that kind of um, all those kind of subjects. So that that is a, a good. Um... And I think we can link that to the next question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Sinew's, which is the place where you work. Can you tell us yeah. more about them? Yes, um, absolutely. So Sinews is a multidisciplinary team of native professionals. And so uh, we are now four psychiatrists and about 25 psychologists and four speech therapists, I think. Um, don't nail me on those numbers, but that's kind of the, the magnitude. And um, so the specialty that we have is that Everybody speaks Spanish and English. Um, and we do also do testing for children in English. So that's kind of an exception, of course, here in Madrid. And um, and so, and we have a lot of contact with different schools like King's College, um, different international schools where we also have um, some of our counselors who go there and who take care of children. We have um, counselors who can go at home as well for children who are, um, who experience difficulties. And um, so it's quite of a, quite of a big, um, we have um, different possibilities to help families and, and children and their, and, and their families and adults um, to integrate more here into Spanish culture and help them and um, support them. That's wonderful. So you mostly work with expatriates in Spain trying to help them adjust to um, Spanish culture or do you work in other directions? So perhaps someone from Spain who moved abroad. As well, as well. We also have um, Spanish patients 
mm-hmm. um, because they want to come because they're preparing for a move, for example, mm-hmm. or because they, they came back from somewhere to Spain. And um, so, yeah, of course, we also work with Spanish people. We also work a lot with university and students who come to Spanish universities or who go to American universities. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have a huge um, uh, base of patients also who are students and um and I think that those are the ones I work with a lot because I'm responsible for, for the universities. And so I see, you know, those uh, um, stereotypical American children who leave the States for the first time and, and, and come here and think that Europe is um, the dream. And then they discover that it's not that easy. Um, of course, not everybody is that, it's not like that for everyone. It's, I, I'm more, I'm categorizing a lot, but um um, but so it's it's very, very interesting to see the different evolution that students or, or children go through and uh, how they adapt. You do have a wonderful job, although it's probably very challenging at times. I'm just so excited to hear that these resources are in place for people like us. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's why I, I was so excited to work at that place. Do you have any final thoughts? Just something that some message for parents or kids out there that you didn't get a chance to say yet? I think that even though, of course, traveling and uh, or, or raising our children in, in different languages, I think even though it's hard and it takes a lot of consistency and a lot of dedication, um, I see in myself how worth it is because it opens so many doors uh, not only not only professionally wise because of, of course it does, um, but also personally and um, how how it impacts yourself on on seeing the world and preparing yourself to uh, um, yeah to to live in this world and um, so I do think that the positive outweighs the negative for me in in by a lot. I mean none of us would be with our significant other if it weren't for immigration. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think the world is changing. I think you know people are traveling so much. You go abroad just to abroad to studies. You, you it it just opens so many doors and 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 uh yeah getting to know somebody else and being open for that possibility I think is is so rich. Thank you so much for highlighting how much work and consistency it takes to do this because we know firsthand yeah. But uh, your work helps families who want to do that. So it's really, really significant and important to us uh, that there's people like you in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And for those of you at home, we'll see you next time. Bye. Hasta luego. Thank you so much. Bye. ever have questions for us or questions about the podcast, go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned for another episode of Multilingual Mamas.